So this is moving from a more or less of first come, first served queuing process to a, a first ready, first served. Lots and lots of complications with, uh, with that concept. But this is essentially sort of promoting mature projects that are shovel ready. Probably need a different definition of that. There's, there's, there's going to be very few projects that are sort of truly shovel ready that are, are ready to connect now. Hello and welcome to the Connectology podcast. Here, Road Knight Taylor's influential team of elite connection specialists and their expert guests help you to better understand distribution and transmission network connections and how to acquire them faster, for less cost and at lower risk. Welcome to the Connectology podcast. I'm Pete Aston, and I'm joined by Catherine Cleary, Nikki Pillinger and Philip Bale, all of us in the same room for a change to discuss all things connections reform. It's a hot topic, so expect some strong opinions and the occasional heated discussion. So welcome, everyone. Hi, Pete. Hi, Pete. Um, so over the last um, sort of three or four months, there's been lots of activity in the industry about connections reform. Um, lots of different organisations have issued various plans and and so on in, in order to try and push connections reform forward. So we're just going to quickly review um, what's been going on recently uh, and then have a bit of a discussion around our thoughts on some of the subjects. So, Catherine, could you sort of talk us through National Grid's five-point plan? Yeah, thanks, Pete. Um, so I think the ESO's five-point plan is probably the one that's been out there for longest, sort of came out back in February, so quite a few people might have heard of this. There are five points. Um, quite a few of them are things which which have already happened. So um, these are their kind of uh, tactical um, changes to the connections process, which they're looking to implement relatively rapidly. Um, so these are kind of things which might happen in, in the next year or so. Um, number one was the tech amnesty. So completed now, um, sort of we yet, we yet to see the kind of how that filters through um, to affecting uh, the capacity, but you know, approximately sort of eight gigabytes worth of, of tech has been released. Second thing was updating the modeling assumptions. So we, we've talked about this before, but the construction planning assumptions or CPAs um, around attrition rates of projects. And then point three related to that sort of um, looking at the, the treatment of battery storage um, and, and changing the assumptions around battery storage um, and uh, potentially allowing them to connect faster to the network as well. Point four of the five-point plan was specifically looking at the additional milestones which National Grid are bringing in for queue management. This is a CUSC mod. It's, it's been a, a long time in the working. Um, it's coming forward for decision uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, really quite important one to, to be aware of. Um, these are going to be effectively milestones which will allow the automatic termination of connection offers at transmission and it will apply to everyone so not just new offers being issued but previously accepted schemes so so that's that's something which is happening as part of the five-point plan and is going to have a potentially significant impact i think and then finally uh, again, going back to storage, battery storage in particular, um, looking at options for um, interim non-firm connections. So those are the five points. Okay. And it feels to me that those are very much fairly short-term issues, aren't they? Yeah. And, and I think it's worth saying that this was, as I say, their kind of tactical uh, changes that they can make in the short term. There is a separate initiative um, that the ESO are looking at, which is their long-term strategic connections reform. That's something that we're expecting them to consult on in the coming month or so. Um, at Roadnut Taylor, we sit on the scrutiny panel for that uh, connections reform. Um, and so probably a bit more about those long-term objectives um, that might happen in a couple of years' time, um, probably on another podcast. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll be talking about this for months to come, if not years. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, so, Nikki, could you take us through the ENA's three-point plan that they've published fairly recently? Yes. So, mercifully shorter than the National Grid's five-point plan. 
So the Strategic Connections Group have uh, come up with a three-point plan. First part of this is actually reforming the distribution networks uh, queue. So this is moving from a more or less of first come, first served queuing process to a, a first ready, first served. Lots and lots of complications with uh, with that concept. But this is essentially sort of promoting mature projects that are shovel ready. Probably need a different definition of that. There's, there's, there's going to be very few projects that are sort of truly shovel ready that are, are ready to connect now. But, but certainly projects have, have, you know, got land rights, got planning, etc. Um, so allowing them to connect ahead of transmission reinforcement works. Um, so they say part four of Appendix G moving from part three um, to more of an A&M solution to enable them to connect earlier, much like we're seeing with the uh, the regional development plans. Second part of that is actually changing how transmission and distribution networks coordinate their queue. Currently, there's very little visibility of that. So in the embedded capacity register, you can see things like project name, capacity, technology type, um, and application date. So that's quite clear. Um, whereas with the tech register, you can't see that at all. And, and these queues are certainly not integrated, which has led to um, to some sort of uh, uh, assumptions that transmission can actually leapfrog distribution or in some cases the opposite. Um, there's also like National Grid, um, there's going to be greater flexibility for storage customers uh, through new contractual options. Um, this is assuming that uh, storage is going to be a benevolent uh, impact on the grid as opposed to um, more of a, a sort of inconvenience, potentially, you know, exporting at, at peak times um, when, when it's not needed and when it would uh, when it would cause particularly adverse conditions on the grid. Um, and also allowing DNOs to have more of that sort of uh, access to potential flexibility services as well. Super. Thank you, Nikki. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, just looking at this, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, Philip, just around the, the queue management side of th- those things sort of being um, common across both. That that feels like it's a big focus of the industry at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, there's an element to make sure that ultimately everything is fair and transparent. Ultimately, across the industry, we need to try and de-risk connections because risk creates uncertainty, which then means good projects potentially then don't go forwards. And obviously, everyone is going to be looking to try and maintain their current situation or make it better, which is often impossible to do so. One of the things that we need to make sure is that there's some of the massive disparities go out of the system. So where someone has a distribution connection, it's accepted sometimes for over a year, and then someone applies on the same network with a transmission application, and it leapfrogs the distribution system. And that feels wrong, or where mistakes have made in the distribution world and some schemes that are two years old that haven't gone through mod apps sit behind transmission schemes. It needs to be a way of trying to have the flexibility of moving things in the right areas for the right elements, whilst also being cautious not to cause other people's projects to be significantly worse. Yeah, so the, the, the whole queue management piece is going to be really challenging. And Catherine mentioned around uh, milestones, what's happening with that and, and what some of the impact of those milestones could be on um, transmission customers. Yes, so I suppose a lot of people will be familiar with um, milestones as they currently are in distribution offers, um, which are basically you know things like obtaining land rights, obtaining planning um, permission, uh, both applying and then obtaining consent within a certain amount of time of receiving and accepting your connection offer. The transmission milestones which are coming in are going to be quite different. They are going to work back from your connection date. So depending on how far out your connection date is in the future... Working back from that, there will be a requirement to get uh, planning consent or land rights within a certain time frame 
So transmission milestones are going to work slightly differently. They are going to work backwards from your connection date, so your contracted connection date. So this might mean that projects with a connection date in, say, 2036 might not have any milestones for the next seven years or so, uh, whereas connections uh, you know, happening 2027, 2028 may start to see some of those milestones very quickly. Uh, the other really important difference is that the proposal is that if you miss any of the initial connection milestones, so land rights, planning submission and planning consent, your offer will be automatically terminated, which I think is quite a bold move, but potentially one we sort of welcome, you know, because I think it takes away a lot of the confusion and, and also kind of just time consumingness of, of, of chasing missed milestones that we've seen at distribution. So Catherine, how do you think that should work for the schemes like the LILOs or connecting into new GSPs, which are relatively close connection dates for some of the offers, but with the significant uncertainty that they have no idea where their connection could be across a 20 kilometre distance to have the confidence to go ahead and secure land rights and start planning these projects when ultimately the CBA on them is very, very difficult to pin down? Yeah, and I think it's it's probably not just projects with LILO connections. You know, I'm thinking even sort of offshore projects, which you know might be subject to, uh, to uh, the, the HND, so they don't even know where their connection point is yet. So I think what the, I think what I could say is that there will almost certainly be pushback to say that actually the TO needs to commit to earlier milestones for fixing locations and um, potentially even earlier milestones for planning submissions. So it's, I, I absolutely agree, Philip. It's a key point. You know, on the one hand, I think it's a fair proposal that they've come up with. But on the other hand, it does need sort of similar follow through and commitment um, from the TOs themselves to make sure that actually they are enabling their customers to make those progress towards those milestones. Which ultimately then becomes quite difficult to plan an economic and well-designed system when you're having to make decisions far earlier in the system without the full information. Well, it is chicken and egg, isn't it? You know, I suppose I, I can imagine there are quite a few system planners perhaps sitting there thinking, I'd, I'd like you lot to all tell me where your solar farms are going to be, and then I will decide where my loop-in substation is going to go best and, to best serve you all. And there's a, uh, a change in the way that mod apps are going to work with this as well, isn't there? Again, you know, potentially quite controversial, um, but the whole point here is to be able to clear out the queue, you know, so they are trying something which has teeth here. So the idea will be that actually, you know, even if you mod app your connection date to push your connection later back, that will not push your milestones. So if you haven't submitted planning, you can't save that that offer by simply mod apping it. Um, I think that there is a proposal that when this is brought in, these milestones will apply to all connections uh, but historic connections may be given a one-off chance to mod app to revise their their connection date, effectively, you know, sort of relinquishing their queue position um, in order to 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 set more sensible milestones. Because we've got we've got things which have been in the tech register for ten years, you know. So, so there's there's some some really historic stuff. Uh, it's a short-term change, as in it's going to happen this year. But the the impacts are slightly longer term, as in we won't see necessarily the milestones kicking in. I guess for quite a few years. Um, on some, you know, I, I guess the the schemes with the closest connection dates, what twenty six, twenty seven, sitting in the the pipeline at the moment. All the historic ones who had connection dates that were in the past that never mod app to move them back, and they will obviously be the ones that will be the first ones that will be for culling. Yeah. If you're liking this podcast so far, you may want to pop over to the Connectology page on Road Knight Taylor's website and sign up to the Connectology newsletter for much more know-how, insight and thought leadership in electricity network connections. The link to this is in the description. Don't miss out on any of the articles, explainers, videos, webinars and podcasts that Road Knight Taylor's connectologists share to give you an edge and help you overcome your grid frustrations. Um, before we move on to some some of our other thoughts, 
Um, it's just worth pointing out that there, there's been an open letter um, issued by Ofgem uh, just a couple of weeks ago. They're, they're sort of writing on future reform to the electricity connections process. So again, all about connections reform. Uh, very much sort of Ofgem picking up on uh, some of these issues, uh, some of the, the ESO and ENA plans, but Ofgem sort of obviously sort of regulatory take on it. But uh, most importantly, they're asking for um, feedback on that open letter through a consultation type process. So basically, you've got till 16th of June 2023, uh, if you're listening before that date, reply to the consultation. Um, often really need to hear your views as developers and, and uh, sort of interested parties uh, in, in this industry um, so that they can help to sort of drive this sort of reform in the right way. I'm going to go on to some other issues that we've got <laughs> bugbears with. Um, so, Nikki, I know you've got a few thoughts around some of the some of the change that you'd like to see that's maybe not been picked up so far and some of the, uh, uh, the plans that have come out so far. One of the biggest blockers that we've got at the moment is around charging. Currently, there's a requirement. Um, this may change uh, for several GSPs based on uh, National Grid doing... Uh, some remodeling work and and based on on the work that's going on around the five point plan, but currently there's a, a need for a, a lot of, of SGT replacements, um, and these a lot of these are customer funded. There's a bit of a postcode lottery at the moment around SGT replacements, and if you're connecting into an infrastructure site, so any site that's got um essentially two two customers on it, so so more than the DNO, so say another DNO or a transmission connection or a tertiary connection. Um, so in this case, uh, SGT uh, replacements or, or upgrades are, are not funded by customers. But where you don't have an infrastructure site, they are then funded by customers. And these can be uh, via a queue of people who are in a mod app. And I mean, of, often they don't even account for the entire capacity of the SGT, but they're, they're still expected to fund it via capital contributions and, and securitize against that. At the moment, it doesn't seem particularly fair that um, anyone connecting into an infrastructure site will effectively not get this for free. They'll still have to pay securities liabilities, but they will not have to pay capital contributions. And it's also a huge amount of risk because anyone in these mod app queues can drop out at any time. So say you've got a £10 million SGT, you've got 10 people in the queue, they're all liable for a million pounds of that until five of them drop out and then they're liable for £2 million and then everyone drops out and it just creates this ridiculous domino effect. So there needs to be proper consideration about how these SGTs are funded. Potentially not socialised, but um, maybe the, the DNOs need to have more power over funding these SGTs uh, in their Rio plans where they genuinely think they're needed. Um, and at the very least, there needs to be a mechanism via uh, which that risk is taken away so that um, any generators connected into the distribution network actually pay on a, a proper per megawatt basis so they know what they're paying for these upgrades and that stays fixed. Obviously, these upgrades might not be necessary for quite a lot of sites, um, but you know we, we won't know that until the, the result of the battery remodelling. But in the past, that level of generation, there has always been a level of generation that drops away, and ultimately that is going to continue in the future. It's obviously a significant unknown when it comes to battery storage and solar farms at transmission scheme levels, because they are unknown, they're new, they're brand new things that are coming forward. So ultimately, the reform is a good thing because it's looking at trying to bring things forwards quicker, more effectively, trying to reduce um, connection timescales. 
but it's still only broken on paper as it stands at the moment. And most of these networks aren't actually broken. And hopefully some of the modeling assumptions that National Grid are going to do will help work out where that limit should be. The other thing that's interesting from Nikki's perspective is some infrastructure sites, the new substations next to them will also be infrastructure. At other networks, it will turn into a customer GSP. At some substations, National Grid will take direct connected customers, pull them together and offer a grid park, an infrastructure transformer. It's very vague and not very transparent on what should be done and where, and ultimately where customers end up, general customers, bill payers pick up the bills for those SGTs, and where specific generation customers pick it up. And I think for me, I would really like to see much more strategy so that general bill payers are picking up the cost in the right areas where it's the right thing to do, and generation customers are being fairly apportioned for schemes where there is enough certainty that those generations will come through and potentially where there is very high risk and very speculative that then it may be appropriate for people to securitize against the whole cost of those assets but maybe less so at the early stage so there's more of a realization of where assets can be reutilized and people aren't then hanging on the cost for them where it's unnecessary and i think at the moment the securities and liabilities and the charging needs a really careful close look at to make sure that people aren't being put off what could be very viable, good schemes, unfairly. And I know you've been slightly more in favour than Philip, Catherine, of socialising SGT reinforcements. I think, Philip, you were sort of talking then about um, you know, careful planning to make sure that the right things are done in the right place. I think maybe when we've talked about it in the past, Catherine, you've been a bit more like, let's, let's yeah. just socialise SGT reinforcement charging. Yeah, I think, I think I'll put it out there. I, I think one of the issues, because you know we have been talking about SGT charges being a barrier and a complexity issue for what almost two years and I and I, I honestly think you know there are a lot of people in this industry who still do not understand that and the reason is that transmission charging is complex apply it to distribution customers uh, you know where you've got multiple customers at a particular GSP it gets even more clear as mud and um, so actually you know to make a difference we need to keep this quite simple and I think I think this is probably an area SGT charging a few things around definitions uh, where where the transmission and distribution uh, networks interact where we need to be feeding back to Ofgem because the two plans, you know, the ENA's three-point plan and the ESO's five-point plan effectively look at these things from their own perspectives. So transmission customers, um, you know, being considered primarily in the ESO's plan, um, you know, the ENA looking mostly from a distribution perspective. This this interface between them is is a is a gap i think you know so we need to go back to offgem i think and say you know yes great we're glad that you're on the case for connections reform but specifically actually there are a couple of key issues and sgt infrastructure charging is probably absolutely top of it for me make it simple socialize it and and i i have a sneaking suspicion that sgt charging is going to fall through every gap because it's not going to really be in the ESO's plan or the ENA's plan, maybe not even Ofgem's plan. There's a transmission charging um, review out with Ofgem. It could not get picked up in that. And I I just have a sneaking suspicion that it's going to get missed everywhere. And then in three years' time, we'll still be like, and all the distribution customers are still being charged for SGTs and are effectively blocked because I don't know of any developer who can really fund that risk of potentially having to fund the whole SGT. I think you're right a really there, small project. It's the risk. And ultimately, if we want to reduce the cost of energy, if we want to decarbonize energy, we need to try and find a way of decreasing the risk for projects so they can proceed and get connected. Build it and they will come. 
I agree the element that we definitely need to simplify. We need a level playing field. It feels wrong that some transmission connections get a grid park, socialized infrastructure SGT, whereas other distribution customers don't. That's broadly very, very, very wrong. The bit that I have concerns with is ultimately bill payers everywhere will pick up the cost for these SGTs. And I would like to try and see the more architect, the system strategy point of view of someone taking a leading role of saying, it is appropriate to build these assets in these areas because that represents good value for money for GB PLC in terms of demand and generation in the right mix. And having the strategy and the foresight and being bold of saying, do this and do it there up to that level. And then beyond that, where you can no longer say it's an economic solution, at that point, make it very clear, transparent, so that then if people still want to develop in those areas, they're aware of the risk. I know that's very difficult to do, but that ultimately, for me, would be the end goal. My answer to that would be that we do have a process for determining whether transmission investment, which is the socialised element, um, is economic, you know, and, and effectively all of the TOs do have to perform a kind of CBA to determine whether you know, actual capitalised reinforcement is the right solution or whether they should be taking balancing, um, at, you know, the ESO should be taking balancing action. So I think we have these processes in place. And I, I just sometimes think in the kind of melee of, um, of regulation, we, we sort of lose sight of what we've got on the table. Let's use those tools we've already got. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Um, but I think, you know, we probably as an industry do need to hammer home to our regulator that these specific problems are really affecting projects. Yeah, and uh, another specific problem that I think we should move on to to have a talk about for for a little bit is just around project progressions and the thresholds for that. So if you're a distribution customer, you have to go through a project progression process, transmission assessment process. Um, If you're one megawatt or above, that's certainly the threshold in England and Wales, but lower in Scotland or a lot lower in Scotland. But there is a great deal of um, uncertainty as to actually what that one megawatt means. Some places it means export. Um, which is preferable for developers and businesses who are trying to decarbonize. Uh, other DNOs have taken the view of it's one megawatt of installed capacity, which means businesses who are wanting to decarbonize really can't very easily. Um, uh, and so it's very uncertain. And sometimes it depends on which planner you get yeah. <laughs> in which DNO. At the very least, we need to get consistency across the industry um, and potentially reduce, lower those thresholds. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's quite a kind of political point, this, isn't it? Are we saying that actually, you know, the grid processes that we have can can effectively stop, you know, perhaps a large demand customer um, from saying, I'd like to put solar generation on my own roofs in order to offset my own energy demand or reduce my own energy demand. I don't want to export any of it to the grid. You know, the fact that in certain places in the country, that developer or that um, that 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 energy user is being told no actually you you can't even offset your own energy capability um until you've waited until you know 2036 for transmission reinforcements that's a broken system isn't it you know it, it doesn't feel like the right answer um but i think it is one that, that a number of us have come up against yeah certainly i mean there's there's a drive for businesses to uh to invest in energy efficiency measures you know that can decrease demand dramatically you know that that's really no different to, to putting solar panels on on a roof yeah and we wouldn't let a dno tell you you couldn't change your light bulbs to leds <laughs> in addition with the better understanding the thresholds of when projects should and shouldn't go through what actions people should be able to take on their own networks obviously we fully understand it needs to be modeled from a safety perspective if there's fault level currents issues if there's short circuit current issues there may be scenarios where actually the accumulation of lots of schemes 
could have an impact. I think one of the areas that I would also like more transparency over is the time it takes a DNO to put a mod app in and to write back to customers and be open and honest around what the restrictions are. Because for too long, part of the reason why we have shovel-ready projects is because generation customers are not legal experts in CUSC in terms of the processes. So they've written to the DNO and missed the caveat around the mod app. The DNO hasn't written back to them to say there's any restrictions. So some customers have gone ahead and got planning only for the DNO to finally submit a project up to two years later after they've accepted into a mod app. That's unacceptable. And obviously at the moment, the current process with the ESO saying, we won't study your project until we are formally notified via a mod app and being very strict so as not to detriment transmission customers is having a significant impact on distribution customers who are at the mercy of the DNO to submit a competent mod app. Yeah, and I I, mean, I guess that just sort of amplifies this question about fairness between transmission and distribution this is probably one of the other things that I'd encourage feedback to the off-gem consultation because, as I say, it's, it, you're, the, the two the two plans are going to look at it from you know primarily a transmission perspective or primarily a distribution perspective. This question is very much about that interface between the two, isn't that that overlap? Whereas at Road Knight Taylor, we work on a lot of accepted schemes, schemes in construction. They are also struggling. I'd love to see Offgem take a focus and ask the questions of how many people do the DNOs have delivering these projects? What are the timescales for delivery? I think if you listen to some feedback from Offgem, I think I think what you hear Offgem saying is often that the DNOs are adequately funded through the price control for resourcing up accordingly, but that's not what we see on the ground when interacting with the DNOs. It just they just feel under resourced. So I don't know quite whether the problem is the DNOs genuinely don't have enough funding or they're just unwilling to put the people into those positions or whether they just can't get enough of the people and or whether it's a, a combination of all of those. I think they're great questions that I'd love to see Ofgem ask. <laughs> maybe we'll put that in the consultation. Yeah, well, maybe, I mean, maybe the, the point is that actually, if, as we have seen service levels decrease, maybe some of the guaranteed standards aren't doing their job. So actually, you know, perhaps it's, it's, it needs more of a more stick, less carrot, um, you know, and actually, and that, that would perhaps force the issue and it would become apparent whether the funding settlements under Rio were, were insufficient or whether actually there was some flex and, and senior management at a DNO, if they were threatened with, with you know, more, more, more fines, more, more GOS targets might be missed, um, you know, might start to put more bombs on seats. It is interesting that the distribution network offers at 11 kV and LV have that metric where it's reported to Ofgem and there is a target for delivery of specific aspects. Obviously, it's significantly harder for EHV connections, but equally, that would very much focus them on there is no metric, so therefore it's one that if it gets delivered late, it's very challenging. And we often see that DNOs will have to prioritise against their maintenance around their capital project as well as new connections. And new connections are sometimes the ones that it appears can be flexible and can be missed or delayed. Fantastic. Thanks, Philip. I'm afraid we've run out of time, but that's been absolutely brilliant talking to all three of you about connections reform. And there's no doubt something that we're going to be talking about for months to come. Don't forget uh, to um, write to Ofgem uh, in response to their open letter uh, by 16th of June. Uh, give them as much feedback as you can. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, and we do hope you join us again for our next podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. Thanks all. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Connectology podcast. If you found it helpful, please share it with any of your colleagues or connections you think may be interested. 
And please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. You can find out more about our services at roadnighttaylor.co.uk, link in the description, where you can also sign up to our free Connectology newsletter for more news and thought leadership in network connections. If, during this podcast, you found yourself wondering what it would be like to have a Road Knight Taylor connectologist in your life, please do email laura at roadnighttaylor.co.uk to find out how their game-changing skills and insight can change the game for you too.